Testament rather than the Old Testament. And, and I understand that in a sense because the New Testament is where we live, right? It's, it's our life in Christ, and, uh, but we understand that the Old Testament was always pointing to Christ, pointing to what was to come, and certainly as God worked through his people, he did miraculous things. Uh, unfortunately, for the people Malachi spoke to, it was mostly negative things that he was correcting them in as they had gone astray. Uh, but even in that, there's good reminders for us and, and good takeaways that we can uh, learn from and, and uh, grow in our faith in. And so 2 Peter 3 is where we'll be tonight, verses 17 and 18. And uh, we'll read those and then we'll open with a word of prayer. Peter says this, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter knew how to end a book. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that we can be in your house. We thank you for um, the service we had this morning. Thank you for the way that you work in hearts through your word. And God, I pray tonight as we gather once again that your spirit would just minister to the word to us, uh, that we would be here tonight ready to receive the things um, that you would want us to receive. God, I pray that, that we would be humble, that we would be moldable, um, that, that we would be a people who desire to do what your word says through the power of your spirit that lives inside of us. And God, we, we know the only reason he lives inside of us is because of the work that Christ did on the cross. And so I pray that that Trinitarian work again tonight, God, would become a reality in our hearts and that we would humble ourselves before you uh, as we read your word together and study it tonight. I do thank you, God, for the new addition to our church family and baby Matthew, and just pray uh, for him, for Brett and Alyssa, God, that you would give them wisdom as they raise their uh, son. Uh, may he come to know you as his personal Savior. Be with the kids' ministries downstairs. God, we pray that even our kids tonight uh, would grow in their faith, grow in, in their understanding uh, of who Jesus is and what he's done for them but they would also grow in the understanding of the life that you have called them to if they are believers. God, again, we thank you for your kindness towards us. May you be glorified by everything that takes place here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Uh, the last uh, two verses in Peter really wrap up his heart's desire uh, for these Christians that he's writing to. Uh, we're going to understand tonight as we read these verses and study them that he's already said similar things to them throughout the book. These aren't new things. Uh, they're things that he's already brought up. Uh, but here in the last two verses, he really hammers uh, these points home one more time. And it was because Peter understood the importance of these truths uh, that he was declaring to them. And as they were important in Peter's day, they're still important today. Uh, as we study the, the books of the New Testament, as we study uh, the epistles, the, the letters to the churches, uh, we understand that those Christians in that day were facing many of the same things that we face. Certainly, they lived in a different culture. Uh, certainly, some of the temptations or struggles would have been different. Uh, but at the core, the things that they were experiencing are the very things that we are experiencing in our day and age. And so I've titled tonight's lesson uh, simply this, stick with it. And I feel that's what Peter's saying as he wraps things up. Stick with it. As I'm reminding you of what I've already told you, as I'm reminding you of what you've known, I'm just encouraging you one more time to stick with it. Now, if you say that phrase or if somebody has said that phrase to you before, stick with it, what comes to your mind when those words are spoken? Don't quit. Don't, quit. Don't give up. Somebody else. Keep going. Quit tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> Somebody else. <laughs> Anybody else? Stay focused. Stay focused. I like it. Anybody else? What do you mean that when you say that to your children? Stick with it. All those things, right? Your heart's desire, from, from what, as I thought through this passage, was simply this, that they would keep moving forward. Um, as in Peter's day, it's true in our day as well, that there are many things that can distract us, and when we get distracted, we get sidetracked. We, we get off the path that we're supposed to be on. We stop doing the things that we know that we're supposed to do. And so Peter's encouragement here to these believers is that they would just keep moving forward, just keep taking that next step. And so often, we get caught up in what the future is going to be, 
and it holds us back from taking the next small step forward that God wants us to take. And in reality, that's what was going on here. The false teachers had come in and they said, oh, nothing is going to change. No judgment is coming. Just live as you want because nothing's going to change in their future. And as these believers heard that message, they got so focused on what was or was not going to happen then that they stopped moving forward in the moment. And so as, as we study this tonight, it's my heart's desire for our church, and I think it was Peter's desire for these Christians, that they would just simply stick with it. Does that mean that life is going to be easy and that the Christian faith is going to be simple to live day in and day out? No, but it means that day in and day out, you're going to choose to stick with it, not worrying about the next year or the next month or even the next week at some times in your life. You're just worried about the next moment, that I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep moving forward, taking the steps that God has desired for me to take. And if we live with that mentality, then I think we will live the lives that God wants us to live. Um, what was it that happened in John 21 when Peter was so concerned about um, what was going to happen with John? And what did Jesus say? Don't worry about John. You just follow me. Peter, don't worry about what's going to happen in John's life. You just follow me. I did find it interesting, and I I wanted to bring it up this morning, but there wasn't time, that Mark's gospel was heavily heavily influenced by Peter. We saw that early on, that, that Mark probably got a lot of his information from Peter. And in the way that Mark describes Peter, uh, he even describes uh, Peter as being the first disciple that was called. Well, we know from the other Gospels that that likely wasn't the case. But if you read John's Gospel, what does John often do? He paints Peter sometimes in a very negative light. And so it's almost as if there was this competition between uh, Peter and John. uh, And John refers to himself as what? The disciple that Jesus loved. John also refers to Peter as the loudmouth, and the, the one who's always getting himself in trouble. So you can think through that as you read through those Gospels. But I just thought it was kind of funny how uh, as you read through them, they are written with their own character styles and with a different flow, one from another. And part of that is by who they were influenced by. I don't think either of them were sinning in the way that they gave the details. I think it was just sharing things from their own account. If we were to ask about a situation uh, that happened in this room right now, depending on where you're sitting, you would have a different perspective. Right? And that's kind of how the Gospels were written as well. So that was a total sidetrack journey, and uh, hopefully you find it interesting as well. But read through the Gospels sometime and just read with that mindset that, that John and Peter, there might have been a little competition there, and I think that's seen throughout the Gospels, even in the race to the tomb, right? We see that even in the race to the tomb. So go back and read that. But anyways, we'll get back to what Peter has to say here. So Peter's desire is that they would just keep moving forward, that they would just keep taking the next step. And as we know from First and Second Peter, that these believers were facing many trials for their faith. Uh, some of the trials were from without, meaning that the physical persecution from unbelievers was great. And we see that very heavily in First Peter. But then in 2 Peter, we see that, that much of the persecution or the difficulty was from within, that people had a, who had attached themselves to the church in some way were causing a difficulty for these believers. And regardless of what the attack was or where it was coming from, Peter's desire was that they would just keep moving forward. It's interesting that Peter writes with this tone or this sentiment uh, because it was he himself who didn't stick with it, isn't it? That, that when the trial came knocking on Peter's door, Peter said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then what did Peter do before the rooster crowed? He denied Christ three times. And after he denied Christ three times, where did he go? He went back fishing and he dragged the disciples with him. And that's when that conversation happens in John 21. And so Peter's writing from an understanding of somebody who didn't always stick with it. But his heart was what? that others would, that they would learn from his example, that they would learn from his shortcoming or his mistake, and that they would continue in the path that God wanted them to go in. It's also also interesting that Peter, as, as harsh as he was at times, as he wrote these letters, he wrote with a heart of love. And what is that showing or telling us? It's showing that Peter, at this point in his life, fully understood the love of Christ for him. I think if there was a moment in Peter's life that was impactful, it was the one uh, where Jesus met with him on the shore. And Peter was reminded gently but sternly by Christ, just keep doing what I've called you to do. And that's the heart that Peter is writing with here. 
He's not frustrated with these believers. He's not angry with them, but he has a heart of compassion for them because he understood the difficulty of living out your faith when everyone is against you. And so tonight, as we wrap up this book, it's my desire that we too would be encouraged to stick with it until when? Until Christ returns. Uh, we are the beloved in, in, of God in Jesus Christ. And as Peter starts out this book, we understand that he has given us everything that pertains to living a life of godliness. And so because of what he has done, because of the gift he has given through him, we can live the life that he's called us to live. And so in verse 17, Peter starts by saying this, Ye therefore, beloved, as Peter uses this word again, is to show his heart for them. Uh, we're not going to go again through, through what he means by this or, or how it uh, applies to them specifically because we've covered it well in this letter. But just remember that as Peter uses this word, he's revealing that his heart was for them, that in some ways he was identifying with them, and he was also writing for their good. He was writing with a heart's desire to see them progress in their faith. And so he says, you therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things, this was a gentle way for Peter to remind them again that they had the truth, that the, the truth that God wanted them to live out was delivered to them. It came first in the Old Testament through the prophets, and then it came through the person of Jesus Christ, and then it came through the disciples and the apostles, and it was being delivered to them once again. And so in him telling them that, that seeing that you know these things, he's reminding them that they didn't need to waffle in their beliefs because they had the truth. They had everything that God wanted for them to have in that day. Now, we're much more fortunate in some regards than they are because we have the completed Word of God. And yes, isn't it true that we often find ourselves in the same position that they're in? Going back and forth, wondering what's right, wondering what's wrong, wondering what God wants us to do, wondering what God doesn't want us to do. And so He didn't want them waffling back and forth. He wanted them to believe they had the truth, to stand on that foundation. He also was telling them or reminding them, seeing that you know these things, was encouraging them to remember that they didn't need to doubt the future. Now, this is something that was a direct concern for them, as we saw. Is judgment coming? Is Christ returning? What's the end of the world look like? Peter says these things have been delivered to you. He says they, they've even been delivered to you through Paul, right? That you have Paul's writings, and even though those are difficult to understand, if you actually study them with the illumination of the Spirit, even those things you can understand. And so they didn't need to doubt their future. And then Peter was encouraging them in this, seeing that you have or know these things, you need to remember that, that you don't need to abandon your faith. You can stand firm on the foundation that was delivered to you. I was reading something this week, and it was talking about disentangling your faith. And I, I like this idea of disentangling your faith because so often our faith is wrapped up in what other people have said instead of what the Bible has said. And so disentangling your faith would really be a call for believers to just go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says. And in a sense, that's what Peter's saying. He's saying you need to go to what has been delivered to you firmly believe again that that's the truth and then stand in that position and don't let what those around you say distract you from continuing on in the faith that God has called you to. And so this reminder was gentle, it was subtle, but we also understand it was pointed. Peter was kindly telling them to stick with it. He says, beloved, seeing that you know these things. And while we may not use those exact words, if you've worked with children or if you've had children, in your life in any way, shape, or form, I think it's true that we often use similar language, isn't it? You know what I told you to do. You know what was expected of you. You know what mom and dad wanted. And as, as Peter is writing to them out of a heart of love, that's a similar way that he is, is speaking to them. He was admonishing them to remain, remain confident in the thing that once had given them confidence. Um, I think we all have people in our lives that that speak life into us. And there, there are three areas as I was thinking through this this afternoon uh, that this happens to me often. The first one is through my wife, that she'll often say things similar to this, Dan, you know what to do. You know the truth. This morning, um, she came into my office and she, um, she did this very thing to me. She said, Dan, you know the truth. You know, you know that God is in control. You know that he has everything worked out. And if that's the truth, just take the next step. Just do what God has called you to do. 
Do you know that in the moment, I probably didn't receive it very well, right? Because I wanted my own pity party, right? I didn't want to listen to what she had to say. But I'm thankful for a wife that will speak truth into my life in a difficult moment, not, not just consoling me, telling me that my emotions are right, but what's she doing? She's pointing me back to what I know to be true. And that's what Peter was doing here. He's pointing them back to what they knew to be true. But isn't it true that even if we don't have a physical person in our lives to do that, we have the Spirit of God within us that does that. That He reminds us of the truth that has been delivered to us. And in those moments where we don't even want to believe the Spirit of truth that dwells inside of us, what else do we have? We have the Word of God. And so as as Peter is writing here, he's encouraging them to continue on. And God has given us gifts as well that encourage us to continue on. And so he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things. These things are truth. These things are solid foundations. Seeing that you know these things, he then goes on and says this, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. So Peter doesn't simply start out by saying, Watch out for the wicked one. He starts out by reminding them of the truth that they had. He starts out by encouraging them to believe what they they had believed. Beware is a word that we're familiar with in the New Testament. Jesus uses this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. That's what's happening in 2 Peter. The, 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 The wolves have taken on the clothing of the sheep and they have attached themselves to the church, and they're seeking to lure them away. Uh, this week, the kids were watching the old Three Little Pigs, like the really old one. And I loved it, because it, like it's comical, the, the way that they illustrated things back then. But you know what they did when that wolf was knocking on the door of the sheep's homes? What did they have the wolf in? Sheep's clothing. Sheep's clothing. They, he would cover himself with sheep's wool, lamb's wool, and he, he had the full thing on. So they, I mean, they really went all out. They had the sheep's head and everything. And, and that wolf was knocking on the sheep's door. And what was he trying to do? Trying to get the three little pigs to be lured outside so that he could attack them. That's exactly what's going on here. Peter was concerned about those who had attached themselves to the church, that on the outside they looked like sheep, but on the inside they were those ravenous wolves who were ready to attack and ready to destroy. Paul uses this word beware in Philippians 3.2 when he says beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Peter says you need to be on guard because the enemy desires to attack you. He desires to pull you away. He desires to lure you from the truth. And as they lived with spiritual opposition in this day, church, we live with spiritual opposition in our day as well. And so what do we have to do? We have to stand on the truth, remember the things that we know are true, and then beware of the attacks of the enemy. Unfortunately, many Christians live with with blinders on, not ever expecting the enemy to attack them. If you live not expecting the enemy to attack you, then you're downplaying the words of Christ. We will be attacked. We will face spiritual opposition. We will face attacks from the enemy. What, is, what are we told in the scriptures? That he's like a roaring lion, roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And so Peter wanted them to be aware of the truth, but he also at the same time wanted them to understand that the attacks would come. But what did he tell them early on in this book, in the first lesson as Dave went through it? That God has already given them everything they need that pertains to life and godliness. So how can you and I survive spiritual attacks? Well, it happens when we remember what the Word of God has said, but it also happens because the Spirit of God dwells within us. We can overcome because He has overcome. And so he tells them to beware. We know this word means to be on the lookout, to be on watch, to be on guard. And it always seems to carry with it this idea of an imminent danger that is around the corner. Uh, it's interesting, we've taken the teenagers to New York, uh, I don't even know how many times at this point, but you take teenagers from Vermont into New York City, and guess what? They have no awareness whatsoever. Like, this is just like walking down the streets of Fairfax, right? Everything's A-OK. That one time when we got in a sketchy situation, my heart was beating out of my chest, my brother Aaron's heart, who was in the back, his heart was beating out of the ch- his chest. It was 10 o'clock in the middle of the Bronx. And what are the teenagers doing? Oh, wow, look at that. 
oh, look at that. It's dark here. The, the streetlights are shot out. That's cool. No, that's not cool. We need to get from point A to point B very quickly. Why? Why were we concerned? Because we had an awareness. But so many Christians live without an awareness to the danger that is around them that they're the ones who are easily swept away from their steadfastness, as Peter is going to say. Now, am I, am I saying we need to be skeptical of everything? Well, not, that brings its own problems, right? But I think we need to be spirit-led. And when we're spirit-led, that's when God will reveal to us what is truth and what is lie. And so he says, Beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error from the, of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. I was reminded uh, as I was studying for this of what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 7. He says, Now the Spirit uh, speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul did not mince words. Peter was a little kinder at times. Paul said these are doctrines of devils. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And then he, speaking specifically to Timothy, he says, these are all the things that are going to happen. There's going to be uh, deceiving teachers who come in and try to pervert the truth. And he tells Timothy, if you want to be a good minister of Christ, he says, if thou put the, the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, guess what? These attacks are going to come. They're going to try to lure you away from the truth that was delivered to you. This is what the the evil workers are going to do to the people that you're ministering to. But he says, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister of Jesus Christ, you need to keep them nourished up in the words of faith. You need to have a steady diet of sound doctrine. And you need to refuse these false teachings so that the people of God can be matured in their faith. Paul told Timothy to put them in remembrance so that you can be a good minister who is nourished up, living good doctrine. And so Paul's concern was the same as Peter's concern, that as these false teachers crept in, they were going to lead people astray. And that's exactly what the wicked were doing in Peter's day. They were seeking to lead the faithful in error out of of the way of righteousness. And Peter says they would be falling from steadfastness. Now, what does that mean, falling from steadfastness? Well, something that is steadfast is stable. And if you fall from something that is steadfast, what are you giving yourself to? Something that is unstable. To fall from steadfastness means that you leave the concrete ground of truth, a firm foundation, and you, you go in another direction that God would not have you to go. You, you become, as Paul says in Ephesians 14, we become like children uh, who are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cun- cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So when we fall from steadfastness, it means we're setting ourselves up to be lured away even further by the enemy, with the perversion of the truth. It's interesting as Paul uses that illustration in Ephesians 4.14 about being tossed to and fro. Do you know that in the passage that is connected to that one, the verses 11 through 13, he gives a way to have security in your life? And you know what it is? He says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So how does Paul say that we can keep ourselves from being led astray? This is not the only way, but it's one of the ways that we submit ourselves to a local church, that we we subject ourselves to good teaching and preaching that is Bible-based, you may be saying, then what am I doing at this church? Hopefully that's not the case. But that's what Paul was saying. He says, if you want to make sure that you stay in the lane of steadfastness, 
then you need to be connected to what God has ordered and structured. And we know that is the local church for our day and age. And it does bring stability into our lives as we submit ourselves to what God has given us in this place. And so Paul and again, Peter would agree that the enemy seeks to lure us away from steadfastness. He seeks to bring us to a place where we're not stable. And we see this is true, uh, truly happening all around us. So why, why then are so many not stable? If God has told us what to do, if God has given us instructions, why then would, as we look at Christianity as a whole, why are there so many people who are not stable in their faith? What are your thoughts? Justin. Sure. And that could be anything, right? Anything lesser. Judy. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's a, that's a big problem. And in our world, it was a big problem back then that emotions are the driving force in the decisions people make rather than the Word of God or the Spirit of God. Somebody else, what, what do you think a reason is for people not being stable? Ethan. I think that's, that's an excellent answer. Um, I think at times, even as mature believers, we read the Bible at times as still letters written to people that didn't live in our day and age, right? These are the problems that they had. They're not the problems that we have, but so often, aren't they the same? As we said earlier, the things that they were facing and the things that we're facing are indeed the exact same things. Somebody else? Yes, Kim. I think that's good, and I think there, there would be an equal amount of people on the opposite end of the spectrum that, says, that say things like, well, God just loves me regardless, so I'm going to do what I want. And, and both of those are errors in the wrong direction. And the truth is, God does love you, but love does not mean approval, right? And, and approval uh, and love are, are, are not synonymous. They are certainly two different things. Somebody else, when we think of this idea of why are so many people led astray or not stable in their faith, Absolutely. Um, if you have your phone, I would encourage you sometimes to look at your screen time. And then I would encourage you to turn it off because it's one of the most discouraging things you'll ever see in your life. How many people say I don't have, how many of us have made the excuse, I just don't have time to read my Bible? Seriously, if you have never done this before, look at your screen time usage. It is incredible. Incredible. I have mine turned off. I'm not going to lie. It's turned off. And it shouldn't be. But it is, because that's where I am right now in my life. But it's incredible how much time we can give to a silly electronic device that didn't, wasn't even around 30 years ago, right? There were cell phones, but not the style of cell phones we have now. And, and we say, well, I, I'm having trouble sleeping. I, I'm not getting anything accomplished. And yet we're spending 23 hours a day on our phones, right? It's, it's, it's crazy, but I think that is a good point that we say we don't have time, but the truth is we're just not prioritizing it over lesser things. Somebody else? Yes, Stephanie. Absolutely. I think that's great. And I, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you know, there's a difference even in reading the Bible versus studying the Bible. And, you know, even when we read the Bible at times, this is true for me, it's true for me with any book, that I can read a book and flip a page and then stop myself and say, what did I just read? And you have to go back and reread it again. And so if we're not putting a serious effort into I mean, this is incredible that God gave us a Bible, right? It's an incredible gift, 
and yet so often we just neglect it like it's just another book on our shelf, uh, only we might take a little better care of this one because it says Holy Bible on the front. Well, if, I, if that's the only reason we take care of it, then there's an issue, right? That's a problem. And um, there are many ways that we can consume the Word. Maybe you're not a reader. Maybe you don't comprehend things when you read. Listen to the Word of God. Get it in you in some way so that God can do His work through His Word. That's the, the main way that God works in His children, through His Spirit and through His Word, right? And so if we're not taking those things in, then in some way we're saying, God, I don't want you to work in my life. I'm neglecting the things that you've given. So I think that's a great reason as to why people are not steadfast. Absolutely, absolutely. Anybody else? These are all great thoughts. Leah. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Somebody else? All excellent answers, and I think they all fit, and, and they are telling of why so many believers are not stable or steady in their walk with God or stable or steady in their Christian life. And as I was reading this passage, my mind went to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 is an awesome passage on the truth of the resurrection and the power of the gospel and all these things. But Paul says at the, at the end of that in verse 58, he says, because all these things are true, he says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What things in your life right now, outside of the word of God, yield an eternal benefit? Not many. Right? It's the eternal word of God that changes us for eternity. It, it molds us and makes us into the image of Jesus Christ. And if these things are true, if the things that Peter outlined are true in 2 Peter, if the things that Paul outlined in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel are true, then, then what should I be consuming? I should be consuming the word of God because that's the thing that's going to change me. That's going to be the thing that makes me um, steadfast and unmovable. It's going to be the thing that causes me to abound. It's going to be the thing that causes me to walk in the way um, that the Spirit would have me to walk. And so Peter encourages them. He says, Beloved brethren, seeing that you know these things, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked shall fall from your own steadfastness. And I would guarantee that none of us in the room today would say that we want to have an unstable life. None of us would. But I would also ask the question, in our lives when we find ourselves unstable, spiritually speaking, what's the root of that problem? And I would say it's, it's that we're not taking in the Word of God or listening to the Spirit of God in the way that God has called us to so these, these words that Peter wrote, you know, it's not just a nice ending. Oh, Peter wishes us well. Well, he does wish them well in some regards, but his well wish to them is that they would submit themselves to the things that they knew to be the truth, that they would believe these things and live these things uh, for the honor and glory of Christ as we're going to see. But it takes effort. It takes effort. And isn't it true that anything worthwhile takes effort? And growing in our Christian faith is another one of those things 
that takes effort. You're saying you grow, we grow through our own power? No, we grow through the Spirit, but it takes effort to yield ourselves to the Spirit. It takes a discipline, and it's a discipline that we have to give ourselves to daily and sometimes hourly and sometimes every minute. And so that's what Peter's calling him to do. Any thoughts on verse 17? I know you just talked a lot. You're probably tired out. All right, we'll go to verse 18. So he says, I don't want you to be pulled astray or away from the truth as you follow the error of the wicked, um, wandering down a path that God doesn't want you to go, go down. But in verse 18, he says, I want you to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And so what do we do to protect ourselves from this, this um, idea of being pulled astray? What safeguards can we put into practice to keep this from happening? He says, beware that the attacks are real. Beware that the enemy is lurking. Beware that you can fall from steadfastness, that you can fall from the position you're in now. Beware and then grow. Growing happens, as we've already talked about, when we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God. Growing is, is our second idea in, in our church theme, that we would grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have kids' classes on Sunday night, Sunday morning, and Wednesday night? Because we want our kids to grow. Why do we have a Wednesday night prayer meeting and Sunday morning church and Sunday night church? Many people say that's too much church, but why do we do it? Because our desire is that we would grow, that we would grow together in unity but also that we would grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This idea of growing in grace and knowledge would mean that, that we're to mature as Christians, that we wouldn't stay as, as children in our faith, but that we would mature to the believers that God has called us to be. It's what Paul said back in the passage in Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When are we to grow? We're to grow continually until we are face to face with Christ. And who are we to, to be growing in the likeness of? The person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. I, I find it funny when uh, pastors seek to have people in their church look and act and talk just like them. It actually drives me crazy, right? I don't want you to look like me. Why? Because I still have a lot of faults and flaws. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that every day my life gets to look more and more like Christ, but my desire is that our church wouldn't be a group of people who look like Dan or talk like Dan or sound like Dan, but that we would be a group of people who are collectively growing together in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want people to say, if they see you out in public, oh, I recognize that, that's from Dan. I want them to say, wow, you look a lot like Jesus. You act a lot like Jesus. You, you talk a lot like Jesus. And that's what Peter is saying here. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And keep growing until Christ calls you home. Keep growing until the day when you, you breathe your last breath on this earth. I appreciate Bruce's heart in not wanting to mess up in the end, and I agree with him. There's a lot of pastors that do, but let's be real. It's not just pastors. There's a lot of Christians who get to the end of their lives, and they are far from the Christian they once were earlier in their life. They, they have become lax in the way that they live their lives. They become lax in the way that they seek to grow in the faith. And so it's, it's not just pastors, it's every Christian. We should never be letting up because when, when we're not growing in our Christian life, what are we doing? We're backsliding. We're losing ground. We're, we're not walking in the way that God would have us to walk. And there's this idea in Christian circles that, that I've reached a point, I've attained a certain level, and now I'm just going to sit there. But friend, you're never just sitting there. Never. And we have to understand that truth. So Peter wanted them to continually grow. It's a continual process. It's like what we saw in Mark's gospel this morning, that I will make you to become fishers of men. It's that process that God is going to take us through. Uh, there, there are several people in the church starting discipleship, but let's not kid ourselves into thinking that discipleship is a program that we complete. Discipleship is a life that we live. 
where we're constantly growing into the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that we've, we've got to go through one book and complete another book and a book after that. It just simply means that we have decided to be disciples of Christ, that we are actively growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're continually putting the effort in to humble ourselves under the Word of God and under the Spirit of God so that we can become fully mature believers who have lives that are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we think back to what Peter said in, in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, uh, what's our response supposed to be in, in this idea of growth? Well, he says, as newborn babes, desi desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's not saying to, to stay as babies, but he's saying to desire the word like a baby desires its milk from its mother. That, that, that baby understands that when it gets hungry, there's one source for it to go to. And the unfortunate thing in Christianity is that when we get hungry, instead of running to the Word of God, we've run to many other things to fulfill what only the Word of God can fulfill. You, you give a baby, you give anybody a steady diet of junk, and they may be gaining weight, but they're still going to be malnourished in some way. They're not going to be healthy. And so as a, as a Christian, you maybe have a, a physical appearance like, wow, that person's doing really well, but if there's not a steady intake of the Word of God, then the reality is we're, we're malnourished in some way and we're not living the healthy Christian life that God has called us to. And so Peter tells us to grow, not just through our own strength, but we're to grow in grace. And then we're to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything done in the Christian life is done by the grace of God. It's what we're saved by, and it's what we're sanctified by. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter is basically saying that Christ is to be the emphasis of our lives. And then, and we'll, we'll have some discussion in a minute, but he ends um, with a doxology. He says, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And as Peter writes this letter, Peter doesn't say, to me be glory forever and ever, amen. One commentary I was reading was, was saying that this, you know, this idea of the way Peter closes this book is a reminder that Peter was never the head of the church. Why? Because he's pointing to the person of Jesus Christ. To him, Jesus Christ, be glory both now and forever, amen. This call to praise comes directly after a call to grow in Christ. And when you grow in Christ, you know what the normal outflow of your life is going to be? It's going to be praise to Christ because you realize that growth only comes as we submit to him. Uh, Shai Lin, he's a theologian, young guy, and he says this, um, all theology, which is the study of God, should lead to doxology, which is praise to God. And so all of our theology, all of our study of God should lead to doxology, which is praise to God. And if you have a theology without doxology, then all you have is dead orthodoxy. I love that thought. That if we have our hearts and our, 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 if we have our minds filled with theology, but there's no doxology, there's no praise in our lives, then all we have is a dead Christianity that is going through the motions. And you know what Peter didn't want for them? He didn't want them to be a bunch of dead Christians who were just simply going through the motions. He wanted them to be the thriving church of the living God with Jesus Christ as their head and the gospel as their sword as they went into the world and preached the truth. And if they followed the things that Peter put forth in this letter, then they would see these, these things become a reality in their lives. So Peter says, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This idea of amen, we understand it as, as meaning this idea of so be it or I agree. And Peter's desire in, in writing that word amen at the end of his letter, I would assume in some way that as these people read the letter or as they heard the letter, the, the letter read, that they would respond with what? Amen. So be it. We agree that the only way to live the Christian life, the only way to thrive in our Christian faith is to follow the things put forth in 
this book. The Enduring Word commentary on this idea of amen says that it expresses the desire of the heart, that there's an agreement, that we affirm the things that Peter has said. It expresses the affirmation of our faith, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that He is the head of the church. It expresses the joy of the heart. If you hear people say amen in church, oftentimes it's with a joyful heart, not with a a dreadful heart of bemoaning the things that are being said, but it's with a heart of joy as they think about the truths that are being proclaimed. And it expresses the declaration of resolution. And when Peter said amen, his desire was that they would say amen, and that would be affirming that they were standing together on the firm foundation of truth. And so friends, I ask us tonight, are we standing on the firm foundation of truth? If the enemy attacked us, would we be led astray with his wicked ways? Are we growing? Or are we fooling ourselves into thinking that we have plateaued and this is as good as the Christian life is going to get this side of heaven? Anytime we think any of those things, we are setting ourselves up for failure. And so let's say amen with Peter, that we affirm these things, that we believe these things, and that we're going to live these things. Until when? Until Jesus Christ calls us home. Why? Because He is the one who deserves all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Thoughts. Sorry, I'm a mess. Thoughts. Bruce. <laughs> Absolutely. Take John chapter one verses one through three. Go read Genesis one through yep. three. Yeah. It just so much of the New Testament is quotes the Old Testament, and you go to any book in the Bible, and it points to Christ. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, <laughs> absolutely. Somebody else? Stephanie. <laughs> yeah. 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 That is cool. It absolutely is. <laughs> That's what I love about this, the new song that we've been singing, uh, Christ the True and Better, because it just points us to that reality that these Old Testament stories are not standalone stories just in history, but they're pointing to something greater, and that's what Hebrews is, right? Pointing to the greater one, and who is the greater one? It is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Somebody else? Any thoughts? Yes, Paul. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome, Paul. Thanks for sharing that. And that's true. Like when we're strong in our faith, then we're able to be there for other people. We're able to, even in our difficulties, point others to uh, the source of our strength, which is Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing that. Somebody else? Bruce? One more quick thought for me that was going back to 17 where it says, be in another way. Read that passage that pastors and teachers were a gift of the church 
mm. to uh, lead them in the right way. Just not forget that there's a devil out there <laughs> who appears as an angel of light yeah. and is ministered as uh, of the workers of righteousness. Yeah. And they would just love to be with the Lord. And now with everything on the internet that can be good, or on TV that can be good, all these podcasts that can be good, they can also be bad. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Anybody else? I was encouraged recently, and then we'll close with this. Um, two things. I was talking to um, somebody, and they were sharing a story about somebody else. This isn't gossip. It's good. I promise. And they said a newer, newer believer. And they were reading their Bible, and they came out to their family and said, Guys, did you know that Abraham almost killed his son? It was mind-blowing to them. But what is that? That's somebody growing in the Scriptures. Second one was, um, I was talking with somebody, and (laughs) they said, all right you got to tell me the story of Jonah. And I said, okay, there's this guy named Jonah. He was a prophet, and uh, God called him to go to Nineveh, and he didn't want to go. And he boarded a ship heading to Tarsus, and a great storm came up, and Jonah realized he knew that he was not following God, and he told the sailors on the ship, you got to throw me overboard. <laughs> I said, a giant fish came out of nowhere and swallowed this, this guy up. And the guy I was talking to said, that really happened? I was like, that really happened. And he's, he was going to go and read the Bible, read that story afterwards. Do you know what that is? That's growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's taking the word of God for what it says and believing that it's true and then basing your life off of it. Friends, we can read the, the Bible all day long, but if we never base our lives off of what the Bible says, then all we're doing is getting a head knowledge that's not going to make any lasting impact in our lives or in the lives of others. But if we read the Bible as true, allowing ourselves to be blown away by the things that God has done in the past, you know what it gives us faith in? The things that blow our mind by way of the things that God is going to do in the future. If he can do it then, he can do it again. And so as Peter says in closing his letter to these believers, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him Be glory both now and forever. Amen.